you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19. And also after that, we're going to be turning to John chapter 8. Uh, if you are new to the faith, uh, to Christianity, uh, we believe the Bible is not just written by men as a historical document, but we believe it is inspired by God. So it is written by God himself. And that's why even if we read it today, uh, it's very relevant to us and we can hear God speaking uh, through his word. And if you don't have any Bibles with you, uh, there's Bibles at the back corner. Um, if you're, again, if you're new to Tungabi, uh, please grab those Bibles and you're, they're yours to keep. But let me read from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 to 21, reading from the NIV version. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord or Yahweh before the priest and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the witness false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And then turn with me to John chapter 8. Reading from verses 30 to 38. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who, have, who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard from your father. This is the Word of God. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Turn Gabby Baptist Church. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. I've got the joy of opening up God's Word this morning as we continue our sermon series in the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Hopefully by now we can start to memorize and we know them. We're at number nine and we've got one to go, which next week is going to be coveting. So let's ask God to help us now. I'm having Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 19. And then we're going to go to John chapter 8 as well a bit later on. So let's ask God to help us now as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, give us um, eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, help us to understand your word more clearly. To see the beauty and the wonder of truth. And to see that you are truth. And Lord, may you shape our lives by that. Father, may we not become enslaved to the things around us. But Lord, may we live freely for you, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Life and death are in the power of words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, if you've, you might have grown up as a kid and you remember that in the playground, maybe you've heard that expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's used in a way to say, well, if you've said some words to me, they don't hurt me at all. It's sort of to say, you can say whatever you want, but it will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think that's probably one of the biggest lies we will ever believe. Because words do actually hurt. They penetrate. They bring emotional energy. They take away that energy. They affect us to the core. See, words can be used for good and they can be used for bad. You can remember words from years ago. You probably can remember today an instant in your life, one, two, three or four, where someone has used words and you deeply remember them because they hurt so profoundly. Those words of, I'm walking out from this relationship. Or the words of a school teacher or someone at Sunday school who said, you'll never equate to be anything. All those words from a parent that they didn't realise, but they deeply stung. And to this day, you can see them clearly. See, words have the power, don't they? to bring good or to bring back. They can be used to encourage, to build up, but they can also be used to affect you and to hurt you. On, on average, you know, we could speak anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 words a year. Now, that depends on your personality. Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Probably like me, you probably just, words just come out of your mouth all the time. And others of you, you don't talk that much. But whether it's 10,000 words a day or whether it's 20 or 30,000, that is a lot of words that we just speak that comes out of our mouth. And in a way, we see talk as cheap. It's just something that rolls off the tongue. And yet the book of James is really clear, the power of words. Something so cheap can be so powerful. And so today we're going to be talking about words. Today we come and we're looking at the commandment number nine. You shall you know, not false testify against your neighbor. Do not commit false testimony. We're going to be looking at this subject. And we're in the Ten Commandments in this series where we're looking at God's word in the book of Deuteronomy. That where people have been set free to live free for Jesus now, if you're here for the first time, if you're not a Christian, maybe, or maybe even if you have been a Christian for a while, often we sometimes mistakenly think that it's about religion and we must do these 10 things so that we're right with God. Well, the Ten Commandments aren't about that. It's actually words given to people who have been rescued, they've been restored, and they're in relationship with God. And we've seen that over these nine weeks. We've seen that they're not things that stop the fun, but actually they're just boundaries which actually help us flourish in life. They bring meaning to it. They help us see um, what it means to live a fulfilling life. And so today we're looking at commandment number nine. And we're going to be asking the question, do words really matter? Do words really matter as we look at commandment number nine? And so I've got three reasons of why they do today. There's three reasons. And the first one is, is that words change lives. 
Words change lives. We find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, you shall not commit false testimony against your neighbor. Where you're finding yourself is in the courtroom. You find yourself in the courtroom. I think it was last year, a TV series came out on Netflix called When You See Them, or When They See Us. It was a four-part series on Netflix that looked at the lives of five teenage boys who were accused and found guilty of sexual assault of a young woman in Central Park in New York. And the series traces the story of how these five boys were found to be guilty through false testimony. Men, detectives who, who wanted to... to just get the job done quick. We need to get a result. Willing to sort of fade the line and, and willing to step that line over in the sand to lie. Those who wanted to walk up the career path and become someone who was great, willing to find these five boys guilty at no expense so that they could further their career. And what you see through this series is though false testimony for those five boys, it doesn't just affect them. It affects all their relationships. See, false testimony, lying, doesn't just infect the individual or the one it's about. It actually affects the wider community. Mum and dad of these boys, their relationships were strained, separated. Some would separate. There was arguments and fights within the family. It flowed through to the wider of society. It, it didn't just affect one or two people. It, it affected all of society, this result. And finally, in 2002, those five boys were found innocent. So that took place in 1989. But finally, in 2002, it was concluded that those teenage boys were wrongly convicted. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20, you shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. It's failing to tell the truth. It's failing to misrep it's misrepresenting the truth. See, in the context of Deuteronomy, they, they, they didn't live in the 21st century. We have... Well, back then you had DNA, but they just didn't know how to use it. Today we have DNA, we have fingerprints, we have cameras, we have those CSI shows on TV where we, we can work out pretty much certain whether someone is guilty according to that. But in the ancient world, you didn't have TVs, you didn't have the science in which they could do that. However, to convict someone, you needed two to three witnesses to make sure that they really are guilty or they really are innocent. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 5, it's going to come up on the screen. Have a look at this. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence. They may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because it, it shouldn't be just one person who says, oh, this, this, this boy, this girl, this man, this woman, they're guilty. No, you need to have two witnesses. Now, Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 to 21 says this. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witnesses, witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, they've stood up in court and said, oh no, this person's guilty. Next slide. Then due to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. Do you see, it, it, it will flow through the community. 
the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Notice the context of the next verse. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The crime fits the punishment. So here's what it's saying. If you want to, an Israelite, as they're going into this promised land, if you stand up in court and to say, little Sam there, he stole that car and the punishment was five years imprisonment. If you falsely testify to that, what should your punishment be? Five years punishment. If that person, you're, you're accusing that person of murder and it's 20 years, well, then you get 20 years. In Israel, what was the punishment for murder? Death. And so if you false testify against that, you will be put to death. The, it's, it's so serious that the punishment fits the crime. And truth matters. So if you want to give a false testimony, well, you're going to have the same punishment as what that punishment deserved. But it's even deeper than that, right? It's, giving, it's not only just giving false testimony. There's also this hint of you not giving testimony at all. See, if you've witnessed a crime or an event and you can say whether that person's guilty or innocent and you go, oh, it's just too much effort for me to deal with it. It's going to cost me time and energy. I'm just not going to go forward with it. That's not what it's... It, if you've got evidence, take it forward. If you have the evidence to have someone found innocent or guilty... It's not your place to just go, oh, I just, I'm just too tired, too much effort. No, no, we actually need to bring that forward. You, you can bear false testimony by not saying anything at all. Because the punishment fits the crime. See, yes, there is grace, there is forgiveness, but there is a punishment. That, there's consequences to our sin. We can't hush-hush things and just think it's just going to go away and oh, I just don't want this hurt to come out, so I'll just cover it up. We can't do that. Because words have the power to change the course of someone's life, for good or for worse. See, words have that power. Politicians have that power. Prime ministers have that power. Mum and dad, teachers, we've all got this way in which we can use words that can bring about good or bring bad. Because see, at the heart of this command is false testimony in the court. But really, if you dig deeper and deeper, it's actually about the words that we choose to use. It's not just the words in a courtroom, but the words we use in everyday life affect the community around us. Do not give false testimony reveals this. But it also reveals that lies dehumanize people. They strip them that they're made in the image of God. Lies, you know, we, we, we look at murder, we look at adultery, we go, that is serious stuff. But lying is just as serious. It has the power to change lives. Do the words we use really matter? Yes, because words change lives. But secondly, we can also see, here's why it matters, because God is the God of truth. God is the God of truth. The reason it says, do not give false testimony, it actually, it reveals to us the character of God. It reveals to us that God is concerned with truth. He's concerned with justice. See, we can by nature be unjust, but God can't. He is concerned with true justice and he's deeply concerned for people. And how do we know that God is deeply concerned with justice and putting things right? We look at the cross and we see justice there where he poured his wrath on his son. 
That's how we know that God is just. He can't overlook sin. He cannot cover up our sin because he's a God of truth and a God of justice. See, God doesn't lie. He cannot lie. He never will lie. And it's impossible for him to lie. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says this. God is not human that he should lie. Now, that's a sort of half a statement. It's almost like by our nature now, we, we have this tendency to lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? In Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. See, God cannot lie. He's a God of truth. When we lie, we deceive. When we lie, we misrepresent God. We rep misrepresent God, a God of absolute truth, God speaks truth and he's a God of truth and he's a God of justice. But Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. And this is where we want to go to John chapter 8. If you grab your Bibles and go to John chapter 8 and we look at verse 42. Now, in the previous context that when RJ read, he, he talks about, you know, they, they thought that they had the right father, right? They thought they, that Abraham is their father. But what we're going to find now is they're, they're, they've got a different father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Verse 42 of chapter 8. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Now, what he says next is very confronting to a Jew. You belong to your father. Who? The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And who's, what's the character of this father? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Satan is the father of lies. Adam and Eve. Satan told them to think wrongly of God. See, Satan comes along and he wants to assassinate the character of the God who made Adam and Eve. And he says, did God really say? And they acted on the lie. They preferred the lie over the truth. And it broke. What came about because of that? Broken relationship, conflict. They were removed from God's presence. See, one of the best ways to destroy relationships is to lie. To cause conflict and dissension among people, it is to lie. See, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. 
one's horny eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, next screen, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. We go, that's, that's, that's fair. But you notice verse 9 and it says, a false witness who pours out lies. A man who stirs up dissension among brothers. See, that's what lies do. False witnesses, it brings division, dissension. And when you lie, you hate the person more than the truth. See, to lie is to bring dissension and fractions. It creates problems in the, the family of God. Have you ever noticed that? When someone in the community of God's people starts a bit of a slander or a bit of a rumor because they're dissatisfied with something, whether it's about a leader or a pastor or about a ministry leader or about someone else in the church, what happens is they spread that, they talk about it, and what happens? They gain followers. And before long, that gets bigger and bigger. And before long, it brings conflict and dissension to the community of God's believers. See, gossip and slander do that. They're both lies. And so as a church, can I encourage us as a church that the moment we get a hint of that, have the courage to pull it up and to go, we don't talk like that. Because lying and false testimony crushes and destroys See, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth causes ruin, says Proverbs 26, verse 28. And whenever we lie, in those moments we love the father of lies and not the truth. Lies break relationships. Adam and Eve broke that. It destroys lives and it misrepresents the truth. See, lying breaks trust. It affects relationships deeply. And truth matters to God. It matters. So we live in a world where there is so much versions of truth. There is more than ever. And yet we have just as many broken relationships and trauma. See, do words really matter? Well, firstly, we see that they change lives. Words have the power to change lives. But secondly, God is a God of truth. But before we move to the third reason, I just want to quickly delve to a side point for a moment and talk about the ways we lie and why we lie, right? Because at the heart of it, it's the words we use. So before we get to the third point, we're going to look at ways we lie. Here's a couple of examples. Slander, that's one way. That's speaking falsely to, to tear down the reputation of someone else. There's gossip. Gossip often has some form of truth to it but it has a few mistakes and it's just about making you look good. Then you've got exaggerating the truth. Now, we know that, like, you know, I've been out fishing. I caught a fish like this and it was about like this. We often, um, rather than rounding down our numbers, we round them up. You know, like I ran five point, you know, I ran 5.77, so you go, I ran six kilometres. You know, it's just, there's, there's a sense of exaggeration. Exaggeration is lying. There's white lies, half-truths. You know, you're, you're a salesman, you're a salesman at Harvey Norman. Someone comes in and they order a 
Uh, they order a brand new coffee machine and say, so I've got to put that on order for you. You'll be here in a week's time. You'll love it. So you come back a week, you know, they come back a week later. They come to you and you see them walking in. You go, Dolp, I haven't ordered the coffee machine. And so they turn up, hey, we've come here to pick up our coffee machine. So hang on a sec, I'm just going to go back out and check the stock level. So you walk out the back and you, you look at it and then you come back out and say, I'm so sorry, but the supplier sent the wrong coffee machine. It'll be here next week. So that's a white lie. We think it's going to solve the problem. But there's deception. There's, there's a thing called flattery. Flattery is lying. Now, there's a difference between flattery and encouragement. See, encouragement is for the good. Flattery is for the wrong. Right? It's good to encourage people. Right? But flattery is used for deception and the expense of your own gain. Okay, here's an example. Now, you probably won't come and talk to me again after church. But you come up to me and say, hey, James. And you do this a little bit, right? You, you come up and say, hey, James, I was really encouraged by today's sermon. Um, God really spoke to me in this area. Thank you so much. And you go on your way. And it's, it's a genuine encouragement. And you do that often. Here's what flattery is. You don't generally come and chat. But you come up one Sunday and say, hey, Pastor James, that was a cracker sermon. It was so good for these reasons. I'm so glad you spoke on this topic. And the reason you come up is because that's the topic. It's your hobby horse that you want talked about all the time. Or later that week, you know you're going to ring me and ask something. And so you think the best way I can get him ready to answer that question is to provide flattery. See, flattery is a form of dishonesty. It's different. Encouragement is good. So we've got to check the motives of what we're doing. But here's another one I think that we're probably over skip a little bit, and that's the use of social media. What I mean by that is, well, with text messages, it's actually passing on information that you found online. Now, sometimes we pass it on as if it's truth. So, and, and sometimes I want to encourage you to think that sometimes do we actually check that article that's backing up our values? Uh, have we actually checked that that source is actually truthful? Or have we just gone, that's aligning with my thinking, I'm going to quickly pass that on. And the person who gets it thinks that you believe. Like, do you see we can actually pass on false information without checking? Everyday social media, every day we can do it. Do you check the magazines or the Facebook posts or the Instagrams? Sometimes we just rush in to share things because it's purely aligned with what makes me feel a bit more comfortable this week. We need to sort through it. We need to be very careful because truth actually matters. Because what we're going to see is that truth, that lies, sorry, enslaves us in a moment. But here's why we lie. I think it's really good to go, you know, we all, we all have that tendency for different reasons. Here's a couple of reasons. Here's one, control. It's to take back control of the situation, to alter the outcome, to go your way. There's, there's a sense of afraid and being fearful. We're afraid and so we have to change, you know, get pulled over by a copper. You know you're doing 20K over in a 40 zone and a copper pulls you over and says, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, do you realise you were speeding by 20K and you're afraid, right? Who isn't? And you say, I had no idea. You actually did, right? That's, that's, so, so how can we, we it's, it's a lie that's coming out of being afraid. But we also, it's to save reputation and face. We can lie to try and save our mistakes, to cover up what we've done and to put it onto someone else. You've been exposed, but the best way to make sure that you're not exposed is to, you know, you got a phone call from someone last week and they come to you and they say, hey, you didn't get back to me. You didn't ring me back. And you go, oh yeah, the dog and the toilet and the phone fell down there and it just, it just, it just didn't work. 
but you really know that you just purely forgot to get back to them and you just should have said, hey, I didn't ring, sorry. Yeah, I completely failed. Selfishness, you want money, property, you want to have a bigger bank account, revenge, they need to pay for what they've done and so the best way for me to do that is to lie so that they get done. Slander and gossip, we do that. Sometimes we do it to be the hero of the story, to boast. That's why we exaggerate sometimes, you know, those fishing stories, we've got the bigger fish to be the hero. But I think all of us know that deep down sin comes from pride. Pride's in us and we lie to keep it. We don't want to face the truth that I'm sinful. And so we, we lie to save our pride. But what have we seen so far? I think we've seen pretty clear that truth matters because words change people's lives. And we've also seen that God is a God of truth. See, life and death are in the power of words. It really matters. There's, a, there's an ancient proverb from another country. There's, a, there's an ancient proverb of a young man who he moved to this village in the highlands. He, he moved to the village. He settles in. Um, and, and what over time he gets to know his neighbour and over time he starts to gossip and talk about the reputation. He starts to slander and gossip his neighbour to the people in this little town. And over this course of time he gossips and he slanders because he thinks oh, his neighbour is like this. And after a while what happens is the reputation of his neighbour is completely shattered in this village. Everyone thinks badly of this neighbour. And eventually this, this young man... He realises that he was wrong. He realises that he spread gossip and slander at the, and at the expense of this neighbour's reputation within the community was destroyed. And so he thought, what can I do to fix the problem? So he goes to the wise person of the village. He goes and he rocks up to the house. He walks in, they get a cup of tea and they sit on the balcony. And he says, hey, here's what I've done. I've gossiped, I've slandered. What can I do to fix the problem? And this wise person said, grab a bucket, fill it with duck feathers, and tomorrow when you wake up, walk around every street of this village and just drop a feather every metre, two, three. Just walk around and then come back and see me the next day. So the young man does that. He drops a feather every metre in the whole village, empties a bucket, and the next day he goes to the wise, the wise person and he says, I've done that. What must I do now? Has that fixed the problem? And he says, no. Grab your bucket and go back out there and collect every single one of those duck feathers that you left out. And this young man says, I can't because they're all gone. There's not a chance. And this wise person said, that's my point. That's the point. Words damage it and you can't fix it. You can't take it back. And we can't fix the problem of our lies. But there is one who can. There is one who is always true. See, why do words really matter? Because point three is because the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The reason we lie, <laughs> I think deep down, the reason we lie is because we think it's going to free us. We lie to cover up the problem, hoping that the problem will go away and therefore I won't have to deal with 
this. But actually, what does lies do? It does the total opposite. Rather than in freeing you, it actually enslaves your life. It enslaves your energy, your emotions, because you have to just make sure you cover it up all the time. See, not telling the truth enslaves you. Imagine this, you're a compulsive liar. When you lie, you need to make sure that every step from now on, you remember the facts of that lie because you need to remember the details of the lie. But you lied in the first place because you thought that will free me from the consequences of that lie. But instead of freeing you, it's enslaved your energy, your emotions and your thoughts and your wills because you have to keep lying to keep up with the lie. Do you see how lying enslaves you? Here's another way that the lies enslave us. Here's an example through sex. Our world tells us that sex is everything. And what does it do? It's enslaved us to think that if we don't have good sex, we're not living the free life. Do you see the lie that Netflix is painting? Do you see the lie that social media is painting that, hey, here's what sex really is? That you need to be having really, really good sex to actually have the fulfilling life? And so for, so for us to buy that sex is everything in life, therefore it means that we're enslaved to it. That if we're not having good sex, then we're not living the free life. And therefore, if you're unable to have sex, therefore what's, you're, you're enslaved. Do you see the logic of the argument? See, to believe that argument that that matters, it's number one, it enslaves you. Here's another way we're enslaved. We're enslaved to the idea of image. That idea that your image is absolutely what matters. As young people or as middle-aged people, whatever it might be, there's this image that cosmopolitan or social media, whatever it is on TikTok, of all those things that paint this image of the human being saying, you need to look like this. If you're not as attractive as this, if you don't wear things like that, then you're not popular. And what does that do? That's a lie. But guess what it does to our emotions, to our thinking? It enslaves us. It enslaves us to the shops. It enslaves us to our money. It enslaves our thoughts every day, thinking, I am a nobody because I have not got to that. See, lies enslave our thinking and enslaves our lives. But can I also tell you that conspiracy theories also enslave us? They enslave us because it grabs us. See, the, the, the conspiracy theories about joining the hidden dots that these things are happening in the world. And so what happens is as we buy conspiracy theories, guess what happens? It buys our energy. That we have to now, something really else is going on in this world. And before long, you're enslaved by it. And you've got to share it with everyone. And everyone else needs to know about it. But not only does it do that, but it enslaves your family because it brings division. It makes your voice change, that you become on edge. You once weren't that kind of person, but now you are. Do you see how lies enslave our thinking, our minds, our words, and our lives? But what does Jesus say? There is only one thing that can set you free. See, we think sex, we think image, we think theories. They're going to set us free as a culture. No, no, no. Jesus is the one who can set us free. Have a look at John chapter 8, verse 30 again. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what does the truth do? The truth sets you free. 
Jesus is the content, he's the source of truth. See, the Jews, they thought, no, we are free because of this. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm the one who brings freedom. And so what he says next is actually quite shocking in verse 34. Now, very truly, I tell you, now, put up your hands if you haven't sinned this week. I can't see anyone's hands. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That would have reveled the Jews. See, our words matter. If you live the average lifespan, you'll probably speak over 860 million words in your life. And God's going to hold you account to every single one of them. So no matter whether you're never going to lie again for the rest of your life, we're still a slave to sin unless Jesus sets us free. Unless Jesus sets us free, we are all slaves to sin. Our father is the devil. And unless Jesus sets us free, we cannot be free indeed. Unless you trust in the finished work of what Christ has done. See, truth matters. Have a look at verse 26. Now, verse verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, in the opening verses of John's gospel, it says the law law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. See, not only does the gospel set us free from the punishment of sin, not only are we forgiven, not only are we restored, redeemed, reconciled to God, but Jesus now changes us. No longer are we enslaved to sin, but we're now set free to live for righteousness. He changes us, our hearts and our affections. Romans 8 tells us that we were once enslaved to sin, but now we're to righteousness. We now have the Spirit. We now have Jesus living in us so that rather than listening to the Father of lies, we can now listen to Jesus. To God the Father, we can listen. We're now free to be true, to be truthful. Why do we love Jesus? Because he's the truth. But when we love our reputation and our pride or when our comfort or we need to pay back, we will value and align ourselves with the father of lies, Satan. But no longer is our father the father of lies, but the father of truth. See, when we speak the truth, we reflect Jesus. We love Jesus, the son of light. See, we need to be reminded that the Son has truly set us free. Now, I don't know, have you, have you felt the pressure and sort of the, the exposing that the Ten Commandments have done over the last nine weeks that you think, how can I ever live up to this? Well, you can't, but now you can because the Son has set you free. Every morning we will wake up and we'll be tempted to live for the Father of lies, but now we can live for God the Father. It's a beautiful thing. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer governed by sin but we're governed by God. See, the truth will set you free, so drench yourself in the truth. We need to drench ourselves in the word of God. Now, don't hear me wrong, I'm, I'm, full, I'm, I'm all for technology and phones and computers and TV and all that stuff. But in a world like ours, we need to get off our devices and drench ourselves in the word of God. 
Because there's so much stuff on our devices that are telling us lies that actually start to enslave our thinking and our thoughts. And we need to take a break from that. We need to drench ourselves in the truth. See, the truth will set you free. See, the world we live in, you know what they're yearning for? We live in a world that's actually deeply yearning for truth. And we're the people of God who have the truth. And we go, do you want that truth? See, why do words really matter? Because life and death are in the power of words. Do, we, do the words we use really matter? See, it does. We have a world that's enslaved to sin. We have a world that is enslaved to lies, the father of lies. We have a world that's just living in the kingdom of darkness. There is a real reality of heaven and hell. We can be afraid to tell our kids or our youth that God is a God of justice and truth because maybe that might scare them too much that God is a wrathful God, but actually we need to tell them who God is, the God of truth and justice. See, we have a world that's in the kingdom of darkness right now and we have the words of eternal life. We have the words of the gospel the power of salvation. We have these words in which we can share with them eternal life. We can share the hope of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The truth will set you free. Jesus sets us free. Church, let's pray. Almighty God, your will is that we never give false testimony against anyone to twist no one's words. Your will is that we don't gossip, slander, condemn without a hearing or without a just cause. The devil uses lies and deceives us to not love your ways. But Father, we want to love Jesus, the one who has set us free. Help us to speak the love in truth. Guard our hearts for the advancement of your holy name, for your glory and the extension of your kingdom. And we pray this in the one who has set us free, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.